Alan Mead is a dentist with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Well, hello and welcome to the Alan Mead Experience. Uh, I'm your host, Alan Mead. I'm a dentist, a podcaster, and professional host. Professional host, yes, uh, I do professional host. Uh, I'd like to <laughs> I'd like to welcome my guest host today. He's been on my other podcast, and actually I've been on his podcast before too. You know him. He uh, speaks all over the place. A dentist who may be affected by an upcoming hurricane within the next few hours. Dr. Joshua Austin, welcome to the show. What is up? We are uh, battening down the hatches here for Hurricane Harvey, which is a nice alliteration there. Yeah, I know. His friends call him Harv, just so you know. The Harv. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, the Harv, on the news, San Antonio, they're not saying San Antonio is going to get hit too bad by the storm as much as by the people trying to get away from the storm. Right, yeah. Yeah, a lot of influx. That happened to us with Katrina. We got a lot of uh, yep. New Orleans refugees yeah. um, from from Katrina. And, uh, yeah, they, I mean, they're just expecting, like, 10 to 20 inches of rain, um, you know, maybe some high winds and, 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 you know, winds up to 60 miles an hour or something. Shouldn't be too crazy. It's just sort of, you know, hanging out all weekend and watching TV or, yeah. or, or doing it. If it could just been one weekend later, it'd been like we've been in prime college football. Season. Yeah, exactly. So you got nothing great. to do anyhow, right? Yeah, That's right. exactly right. Yeah. So how long have you lived in San Antonio? Pretty much my whole life. We moved here when I was like five. My dad uh, okay. practiced in Amarillo, Texas. My dad was a dentist and practiced in Amarillo, Texas. So that's where I was born. But when I was about five, he sold his practice and uh, we moved down here so he could teach at the dental school here. Ah, I see. Thus the connection. Because I've heard yep. you talk about the dental school. Interesting. I didn't realize that. Okay, so you're kind of San Antonio born and bred. So you're familiar with this whole hurricane drill because this this obviously has happened to you throughout your life. Yeah, it's probably happened three or four or five times, something like that. I mean, it's not it's not frequent, but it's it's happened enough where where yeah. I mean, we just get the rain and we just get a big influx of people. And and San Antonio is interesting because we really just have one grocery store. So San Antonio has like a million and a half people. And yeah. when I say we have one grocery store, I don't mean like there's one location. There's just one brand of grocery store. Right. It's called HGB. It's like the biggest employer in the city. Their headquarters is here. They, they employ 30 or 40,000 people. Um, so there's just HGB. We don't have Albertsons or Kroger or Randalls or anything like mm -hmm. that. Um, and so just like HGB just gets demolished like at times like this, just like people buying water sure. and, and bread and, and uh, all, kinds of, all kinds of junk to, to eat while they stay in all day. Um, all kinds of high fructose corn syrup type, type of <laughs> exactly. You know, it's sort. Of, it's got to be good and bad for that supplier because it's it's probably tough because you know hurricanes don't give you that much warning, right? They've only been talking about this for a couple of days. It's not like they had a you know a four four week window to make sure they stocked up on all the the stuff that hurricane survivors are going to want. So they're gonna they're gonna run dry on the shelves eventually because everyone runs for the panic. So that's. But on the other hand, man, they could sell anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I feel bad for Home Depot too, like trying to sell plywood and stuff yep. like that, like yep. down in Corpus. Like, how do you get enough down there? And yep. and I don't, I don't know. That's just a, a tough deal. And then like all the people who work there, like they got to get their their stuff ready too, right? You know? and, and of then, course, everything. It's probably all hands on deck at any store that's like right. that where they're selling yeah. everything. I can only imagine. Like that, that would be that'd be like, you know, okay. So Michigan 
gets weather, but we don't get our weather is first off. Yes, you can predict we're going to have some ice storms and we're going to have several inches of snow and you can it's going to be cold. Those are those are relatively predictable where you know, hurricanes like I said it's been 10 years since since we've had this level of hurricane you know come on shore. So like hurricanes aren't predictable in the same way that that just cold crappy weather in the north is. And that's really the only weather we get. Although we did get that like earlier this summer we got flooded because we had a ridiculous amount of rain, but that's still I mean it doesn't happen often. It's not predictable per se, but it's not the same kind of devastation as a freaking hurricane. Yeah, it's you know when I hear about like like offices, like if you're like let's say your office is in Corpus Christi or whatever, which is like where it's supposed to make landfall. You know, you're going to be out of production for probably at least a week or ten days, yeah. and you know, like if you don't have you even built like a big emergency fund buffer of cash, like somewhere either in your you know in your shoebox underneath the bed or, or, uh, you know, somewhere like that, it's going to be hard to overcome like 10 days of dead time, you know, and, and people like your patient base is not even around town. Yeah. Uh, you know, they've all, they've all left. Yeah. Literally, right? even if you wanted to show up to work, you're, yeah, it's not really right. going to happen. Yeah. It's just, that's gotta be tough. Like I just, I can't, you know, if the power goes out and I miss a half a day, I'm, I'm, I'm livid and upset and I'm looking at numbers like, Oh, are we, am I going to meet numbers this month? Like what's going to happen? I just can't imagine like staring down the face of like a week of nothing. Like that is, you might I mean, as well just. Get that's out an of interesting. Town. It's an interesting thing. But but on top of that though, it's it's doesn't give you. It's one thing when you take off for a long vacation because you took off for a long vacation. Heck, you may well be fighting flooding and you know weather and you know it'd be one thing to you know go someplace where the weather's lovely, but you don't have that lead time. Yeah, and I don't know. It's it's weird when you're shoot if you own an office uh, in. Corpus Christi, you're hoping it doesn't get washed away. I mean, there's, right. there's that too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it's got to be tough. And I would imagine that, you know, with the history of hurricanes and stuff like that and floods and whatnot, it's probably hard to get insurance, like umbrella policies yeah. and stuff like that. Like, yeah. Stuff just scares me. It's just one of those things that you got a young practice that like hasn't had a chance to build up or whatever and something like this hits. Like this could like get you upside down to a point that it would be hard to get back. Yeah, that's a body blow, I'd say. It's a pretty solid one. That you got yeah. you got to be And I don't I don't really know what kind of uh, like if the typical overhead insurance kind of policy kicks in on that because it's it's maybe I don't know. Maybe, but I thought overhead insurance was more about your physical body than your than right. your hurricanes. I don't know. Yeah. I, I really don't. So right. anyone listening in, in the Texas Gulf Coast area, good luck, man. I hope. Uh, yeah. I hope, uh, hope this doesn't put anybody out. Yeah. Seriously. And then apparently, <laughs> Texas Gulf Coast, according to the maps, then then they're going to swipe back and nail Louisiana later in the week yeah. too. So you know, it'll, it'll zag and exactly, and, uh, exactly, and leave us all high and dry and, and slam New Orleans. Well, you, <laughs> I mean, I, I hope we're not. I, I hope we're. Where you're getting ready for something that's less dramatic, but geez, you never yeah. know. And at this it point, it usually is. You know, it, it, these things almost never live up to to what they're supposed to be. And so, except you know, we'll Katrina just, wasn't that long ago. So there you go. Like you kind of at well, this point, yeah. you can't. You you want to believe that, but I think you got to prepare for the worst, or you're asking for it. You know. Well, you know, if anything, Katrina taught us that George Bush does not care about black people. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, and and actually, that that uh, New Orleans really is not ready for a hurricane. It also, no. <laughs> like, like I, I love the news stories where they're like, well, you know, the pumping stations are now, we're getting close to full. I'm like, dude, your whole city is like, like 10 to 20 feet below sea level. Right. I'm sorry, but you really aren't ready Impressive for a hurricane. Disaster. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, 
I, I know it's an amazing historical city. I, I get it, but I'm just like, ah, you know what? I don't care how ready you are. You're not really ready. You're underwater already. So yeah. there you go. So you mentioned something that I guess I didn't realize. Your dad was a dentist, huh? Like, yes. So we yeah. both of us are legacy dentists because, of course, yeah. my dad was a dentist as well. So, uh, you know, it is funny because dentistry seems to be a a, a weird um, – there's a lot, of, a lot of dentists with dental relatives, oftentimes parents – or uncles or aunts or, you know, close relatives. But I'm honestly, a lot of it, a lot of his parents. I mean, I'll bet you at least a third of my dental school class, maybe more, had, had like, a parent as a dentist. So what, what's, what do you suppose that's all about? And do you think that's going to change the way that dental school is now? It's so interesting that, like, you know, Mike on uh, Mike Detola on our podcast uh, talks about it all the time. Like, the reason he wanted to become a dentist was not because of, like, he learned to love dentistry through his dad. What he learned to love was the fact that his dad took a month off every year and they went to Kauai. And frankly, uh, what's not to love, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, it's like, it wasn't like, oh, his dad would regale him of tales of, of uh, cast gold inlays and onlays and and uh, and that sort of stuff. And that's what, what made Mike love dentistry. It was like, yeah, now my dad shuts down the office for a month and we all go to Kauai. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, that lifestyle sounds awesome. I, I wonder as we go, you know, I... I because there was sort of the golden age, I think, of dentistry, which was probably, you know, the 70s and 80s. Wait, it's um, not now? Sorry. It's not now. And so <laughs> I think, like, our kids are, like, you know, going to look and see how hard it is for us and and probably zag another direction. And so I, I think it's very specifically children of dentists from that generation. Uh, when dentistry, you know, was was a much simpler thing. You know I mean, what? I th- I think you're right. I, I I agree completely because when this conversation comes up on you know Facebook, Dental Town, all that stuff, you know, would you tell your parent? Would you tell your children to to look into dentistry? And there's a few people that are like, "This is a great career. I totally would." But a lot of us are like, mm, you know, uh, if I had yeah. a chance to do it again, knowing the kind of debt you have to go into to do it. I would think twice about it. I can say nice things about dentistry, and frankly, you know, we can complain about about what we have to do. But it's, I will say, it's easier than digging ditches. You know, it's like it's like it's sometimes. Yeah, I mean, there are times when there are times when maybe you're, the emotional attachment of or the lack of thereof in some jobs would be awesome because typically, I think the hardest dentistry isn't the isn't the, the executing the dentistry. It's dealing with people, dealing, you know, yeah, dealing psychology. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that, that part is something that dental school cannot teach you. Um, I mean, it, your clinical, it can give you a taste because you have a chance to work with people in the clinic and then you may, if you're lucky, run into some crazy people. Um, but cause I think you need to learn that a lot of people are crazy. A lot of people's expectations are ridiculous no matter what you do. And you have to learn not to own it. And how long has, I mean, how long has that taken me to figure out? I'm still figuring it out now. Oh yeah. It takes decades. Yeah. Did you guys have behavioral dentistry, like a course, like sort of the psychology of dentistry in dental school? If we did, I must not have shown up because I Okay. So we had two semesters of behavioral dentistry and it was, it fell within the community dentistry department. Sure. And community dentistry courses were all just like the, you know, like kind of like what I would call sort of more touchy feely, liberally, like people who worked in the community dentistry department had never been in practice. Yeah. Had, had, you know, have not done a restoration, you know, outside of maybe a sealant or a preventive resin restoration on like a school kid, like a sealant program or something like that. 
there was very like very much that sort of dentist that you think of from like your preventive dentistry department or whatever, right? That was community dentistry. So we had this woman who taught us behavioral dentistry who had never been in practice, like solely an academic, like wore like a sweater with like a turtleneck underneath it every day, like mm-hmm. with a little like a little pair of pants from like Land's End or something like that, you know. And, your typical and, like, college professor. Exactly. Like looks like a librarian, right? Like that's the worst person to teach community de- or to teach behavioral dentistry. What I, who I want to teach behavioral dentistry is like the dentist who's on the verge of suicide because of like <laughs> failed restorations, right? Failed Just restorations like, and, every day. and insane like, patients, lawsuits pending. Yeah. Absolutely. Like just the train wreck guy. Like that's the guy I want to teach behavioral dentistry. Actually, like, your, your point is really well taken if that's what the point is. If the point is right, to actually. Exactly. I, <laughs> I love the guy who comes in and all he does is, is basically his lectures are just bitch sessions about the next lawsuit that's coming down. <laughs> coming oh, down absolutely. Just screaming about his assistant or whatever. <laughs> exactly. You know, just, uh, exactly. It, it, I didn't that, even touch her. Sorry. <laughs> that, that has to be so much more valuable than just a PowerPoint, like from an academic who's, who's literally never touched a, 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 a piece of retraction cord, yeah. you know, Here, like here's the, here's the other one about the dental school. The, what about the, the people who, who they were lecturers in dental school and, and they might well be nice people and they might well be knowledgeable, but see, I was in dental school before they even had like PowerPoint was real, but they still had it. These are people that still brought in slide decks. Yeah, like slide the, carousels. Slide carousels. And, and the best was that they had the slides made off of a PowerPoint, like a computer PowerPoint, but they were not digital. They, they were analog right, yeah, versions. Yeah, like print the little slides. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and the other thing is, is these were people who had the same slide decks from years, hadn't looked at them except when they they showed up to lecture on this stuff in years. And they they were as flustered to look at because they didn't even remember what the lecture was on and all this stuff. And that was, I mean, we, that looking back, we always laughed because you knew that the lecture wasn't, you know, there wouldn't be a lot of questions from this lecture because the dude didn't even remember what he's going to be talking about. But we were paying for that. That was the thing that I, I, I never put two and two together. I, we were paying the dollars for that. The most expensive CE course you could ever imagine is what you paid for exactly. that. Like, exactly. You paid more than what would it cost to go to Kois. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and, and like, literally, they couldn't summon enough give a damn <laughs> to even know really what they were going to be lecturing. The classic thing was when they were giving a lecture series and they forgot where they left off. So they, they lectured on the same thing essentially twice and you, and no one had the stones to raise their hand and say, Hey, you covered this last time. Oh, I I just, I'm sort of flashing back right now. In your dental school class, was there like notes trading? Would people like trade notes that they had from different things? Yeah. We had, we had a note co-op and here's how it worked. We had a note co-op. Everyone paid in at the beginning of the semester. And it was, it was like 25 or 30 bucks. It might've been even more. I don't know. And then you were assigned a lecture or two, um, okay. you know, at the beginning of the semester. And so you knew that you were, the, and they had a recorder, like a tape recorder. And then you would, you would take good notes, you know, you'd get your friends to take good notes as much as possible. And then you would put together like the, the idea was you put together the best set of notes you could for that lecture. And then people could count on that. And the problem with that is that, you remember the science project or the or the social studies project you had to work with sure. in high school? The, the group, group, project, the group yeah. project where Yeah, there's where the always person, the one superstar and the one loser. Yeah, the person who does the least gets the most out of the deal because right. someone's gonna carry it because they don't want to fail, you know. Right. And that and so what happens is you'll get <laughs> I'll never forget my best friend from dental school did literally the worst notes that in the history of mankind and, and I've never let him down for it because I was the guy you may imagine 
I was pretty elaborate. Like I didn't, I didn't want to mess around. I did. And the other thing is, I had a laptop before people had laptops. I, I had oh a, man, you were a dork. Yeah, I was. I was. It was now everyone has a laptop. Everyone has a yeah. tablet. Everything like, but then no one had a laptop. It was yeah. like it was like the it was like a PowerBook one sixty five or one sixty or something. Nice. And, and of course, you know, it did have a battery, but your battery life was about thirty five minutes. So I, I had to find a seat that had a plug. And but I did. I took notes because I could type faster than I could write. And in my notes were after actually my I think my junior year maybe my, I can't remember junior senior year I finally stopped being part of the note club because my notes were as good or better because I got than everybody else yeah so and it was and that was fine I, honestly I was pretty happy to share my notes with everyone too but um that was an inefficient way to do it I'm sure that there's right now I mean I think lectures in a lot of places are are recorded and they're just online so you can get the actual yeah. you can review the lecture again like technology has made that sort of an antique way to do it how did you guys do it well so we had you know we had sort of like a hand-me-down kind of deal and the class in front of you would sell like this notes bundle to the incoming freshman and that was like your big fundraiser for the year yeah that's a uh, as, as a sophomore class but uh, so i taught in restorative dentistry after i graduated for a few years and i'm going to let you in on a little secret the same way that dental students trade notes back and forth the faculty at the dental schools trade oh my uh, lecture material back and forth <laughs> Like, I love that. Like you will see somebody in restore to be like, man, I really need like a case of, you know, a, uh, a three surface amalgam with a pin in it. Do you have one? And like, yeah. And they'll just like pass it off as each other's work and stuff like that. Like they trade stuff like dental students trade, trade notes. And I remember like there would always be kind of a frowning on from the faculty of like us having this sort of like note set that we would get from a class ahead of us. And it was so sort of disingenuous to me as I got into the faculty and be like, wait a second, they were getting pissed off at us about the notes. And meanwhile, they're just like trading cases back and forth. Oh, yeah. Like it's nothing to give the lectures. Like, why is it cool for them? But it's not cool for us to trade notes. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. So, yeah, faculty members trade cases for lecturing material and okay, stuff like that. Like, and they'll give each like other lectures and all this. It's, it's crazy. The dirty underside of teaching in dental school. I love that. Oh, absolutely. So we we fun. also had like the, the main reason to join a fraternity uh at the University of Minnesota. I lived at the Psi Omega house for three years, so that was a pretty good gig. By the time by the time I was done, I was like treasurer for, for like a, at least a couple years, and and I got fifty bucks knocked off my two hundred dollars a month to live in downtown Minneapolis. So that was that was a good reason to join Psi O. Is there? I'm just you know just kind of knowing your history a little bit and knowing kind of like what some of the things that you're known for. And one of those things maybe being like substance abuse yeah. and the fact that you are like in leadership of a fraternity. Should yeah. we gather any? type of uh correlation between those two things or are those just completely separate <laughs> well the best the best story i have is that the we the Sci omega house had a pop machine it was 50 cents for for a pop uh oh, i thought you said machine. Pot machine. no no no. we didn't have a pop machine this was minnesota it's not colorado it's minnesota ah, okay so Still, uh, uh, Coke machine. <laughs> exactly okay, sorry. and uh and we had uh but we also had a kegerator and the kegerator was free there was no, there was no charge for the kegerator. Soda, so, you got to pay for. Yeah, that, that was, ice. Yeah, that, that was basically the the culture of of Psi Omega was was in that little anecdote. That was everything. Yeah, was, we drank a lot, but it was it was essentially yeah. I I, I think I got my start as an alcoholic and addict uh, yeah. in dental school. Not I can't blame Psyo because I drank I drank like everyone else. Then I mean everyone right. else was like the same way. It's just that I I took to it in a different way. But yeah, well, and dental school sort of forces you to be a binge drinker. Because you don't, you got to study. You can't drink all right. the time. And then you get through the test, and then it's you, like, yes. you know, you're nine, you're 21 or 22 years old, and you got to blow it out. So yeah. it's like it, it, it enforces patterns in you 
that God, dude, that's of, very good. I have never thought of it, but you're exactly right because because you know survival requires that you can't you can't be irresponsible for certain parts of your of your career like certain parts of the week it just does not allow for right but that makes you want to just blow it out even harder when yep. you can't yep you save it up that's exactly right. that's exactly it's a very good point i've never actually thought of it that way but the other reason to join sio getting back to that was that we had an old test file so the test file so like in which is funny because i'm shocked that instructors didn't Make us turn the tests like the. T- I, apparently, we must have been able to to uh, get the test like the yeah, actual I think at test. At some point, people steal them and yeah, or something. My dad always like said. My dad said they used to have they used to have the thing where they would each person had to remember one question, like they had to verbatim remember or write down one question so they could reassemble the test or whatever. But we had the tests in a lot of cases, and that was the other thing. Like you said about the instructors, they didn't change the tests very much, right? Like. Like that would require some sure. forethought. I mean, it's just you know you're just relying on the laziness of the of the of the faculty, which sometimes is not a bad bet. Yeah. No, I mean because looking back, they're human. You know, like they're they're yeah, they're paid like sixty grand a year. You yeah. Know, like eh, what do they care. Yeah. I it is it is funny that like that dental schools have full time faculty. You know what I mean? Like I I I mean I look back and I don't I don't. I just remembered they were the professors of dental school. That's what it was. But I'm thinking to myself that sh- you have to make a pretty conscious choice to do that, to be full-time faculty. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, you get, you might get a cool office it, at the university of Minnesota. They, it was in a tall building. So you might have, if you have an office with a window, you might have a good view, but honestly, I don't, the upside, if, if the pay wasn't real good, I don't know what the upside was really had to deal yeah, with I mean, people like me all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, not having to run a practice, I think, is, is probably it. But but probably if you're talking about like training general dentists, you know, what better what better setup could you have from a faculty perspective than have just a bunch of part time people who are, are good dentists from the area who spend half a day a week? You know, you might lose a little bit of continuity of stuff. But when you're when you're talking about like maybe like senior year or something like that, like what better education could you have than just a bunch of of diff- exposure to a bunch of different good private practice dentists. Like that would, I think would be ideal. I agree. I agree. The, now the thing about the private practice dentists, and, and I know this from my, my father's experience. You might notice that I talk a lot about retraction and cleaning up the tissue prior to impression. And that's because I've had difficulty with this in the past. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the two-chord technique. I know that everyone loves that, and, and it's almost sacrilegious to say it. I've I've come up with something that's working for me really well. I'm calling it the chord-and-a-half technique. It, it it involves, like, three pieces from Premier Dental products. Uh, and let me talk to you about the first piece. The first piece is placing whatever the biggest chord you can comfortably get into the sulcus. And I've been using... A new product, or a product that's new to me, it's called Knit Pack Plus from Premier. It, it's a it's cord, it's really good cord, but it's also impregnated with aluminum chloride, so it really stops a lot of the bleeding in on its own. But the way this cord handles is like nothing I've ever used before. What you can't do, you can't put your instrument through it. Nothing more frustrating than when you're packing cord and it like pushes through and it pushes around. It really goes in quite nicely. Uh, it handles being pushed around really well, but also, God, it just takes that space up really nicely, and and like the bleeding just kind of stops. What I then do 
is I actually just adding insult to injury. I like to place a little traxident over top of that, and then I use the retraction cap on top of that and let it sit for a couple minutes. What I'm finding is when I rinse that thing off, a lot of times I can leave the cord right in place, which is very cool. Uh, you leave the cord in place, and it keeps everything dry and clean. This stuff is really good, and you need to try it. It's called Knit Pack Plus from Premier. It comes in every size you could want, color-coordinated. and I, it, the, the plus, it means it's got that aluminum chloride to keep bleeding down. Excellent stuff. I highly recommend you give it a try. Knit Pack Plus from Premier Dental. Premier Dental Products, inspired solutions for daily dentistry. Private practice dentists are are not we were just talking about this we're not company men if you will like we don't take direction all that well you've yeah. been run your own practice you come in and look at the school and the way they run things at the school they they run things at the school i will give them this probably a lot of the ways they do it is stupid but but they do it because they they someone at some point set it up as a system to run a certain way and when you're running a practice and you come in and see something that really runs poorly or stupidly or whatever, it is really, nuts. it's hard, yeah. it's hard to, you know, it's hard to toe the line. My dad used to work up north and, and uh, he, he sold his practice like almost, almost to the day four years ago. And then some, you know, a year later or so, he started working in a clinic up north where, where University of Michigan students would rotate through this clinic. It was basically chucking teeth and making flippers it was a it was a low-cost federally qualified clinic and and uh, he really liked he liked working with the students and of course um he didn't do a ton of surgery he didn't really love surgery which was funny because he fell into a lot of surgery but he did do he he does removable really well he's kind of a wizard with removable um and thus i'm having lunch with him this afternoon because i'm gonna bring him into my practice to do my removable anyhow no that is beautiful <laughs> i know are you I how jealous you. how jealous are you uh. <laughs> But but he his struggle and he he ended up he ended up leaving uh, some months ago. I think I think he's okay with it. But his struggle I think was constantly butting his head against the way that it was done up there. It was done a certain way for whatever reason. And he worked in private practice for forty some years. I mean, it's just like he just couldn't. <laughs> when you're used to doing things a way that worked for you for a long time, that's that's hard. So so the problem with the part time faculty is I suspect they run into a lot of people who are smart and good at what they do, but they have a hard time like like kind of doing it the way yeah, that others want system. them to, I, which right. makes perfect sense. Now, you said you were you you taught. Tell me about that. Was that – did you teach before you were running a practice or no? No, it was kind of like I was kind of part-time in practice and part-time at the school, but I just did clinical stuff. Like I taught uh, operative with junior dental students. So in the clinic, you know, kind of some of their first exposures to operative dentistry, you know, a lot of amalgam putting on a rubber dam, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Um, you know, when I did that for probably three years, three or four years, it was a good experience. It was fun. Yeah. Um, with the students, I wasn't too much older than them at that point. And, um, you know, I guess had a, uh, I remember those instructors in dental school. There were two, yeah, ki- there were two kinds of those instructors. There were the kinds that, that remembered that dental school kind of sucked and were there to try and help you make it a little bit easier. And, and, and teach you something, and they were the kinds that were going to lord it over you just as soon as you walked in the door. Absolutely, <laughs> I remember those. And do, do you? <laughs> I don't know if this ex- you experienced this, but if you would go in, like I would run up to clinic early to see where I had been assigned. Like they they would assign us in to the chairs. We didn't have a chair. We were assigned a chair, assigned a kid, all that stuff. And you'd see who is who is your clinical instructor in your chair. They sort of ran it. There would be three or four clinical instructors per section or whatever but they sort of ran it where they would each instructor would kind of handle a row of students but sometimes they would switch up but you could make a pretty good guess as who you're going to be working with and 
And that's when you started trying really hard to switch your chairs, switch your because you'd see who you were working right. with. Oh my god! Yeah, kind of game the system to try to get who you wanted. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I I can't imagine being like the jerk faculty member. What is? Yeah, what is it about that? What is it about that that you come into dental school? Do Do you forget how horrible it was to be like just the situations you were in and how? I mean, there was. I, I know there's some people that love dental school and did well with it. It was super traumatic for me. Like literally, I'm I'm sort of I'm bordering on like breaking out into a sweat just talking about this stuff because it was it was freaking traumatic for me. I will tell you this: I spoke at the Minnesota meeting a couple years ago, um, and and interestingly, one of those inst- that kind of instructor was in one of my lectures, and um, and I don't I am sure he did not remember me from being at school, um. He came up and asked me a couple questions. It was a social media thing. Asked me a couple questions, and I was as pleasant as I could be. But I was pretty short with him it, because every time I because looked out, you were at scarred him, by him, I was, and you remembered I was him. Scarred by him, yes. Like, yeah. like I, I looked out at him. I looked out in the lecture and saw him, and I, I almost like it was one of those things where I almost stopped. You're just sort of like, <laughs> you're like, you're like this is this is someone who who like you know abused you as a child, and you're running into them or something. It's horrible. Like the guy was terrible. I had- and I was. I would have had fun with him. I would have talked to him throughout the deal and, and, and whatnot. And, and you like, that's just would have been like where I would have gone. I would have tried to like, like sort of in a funny way, try to make him uncomfortable a little bit, you know, make him sure that that's what I should have done. Yeah. I think that I I remember. I think if I were doing it again, I would try and have the mindset that there are likely people I'm going to run into like that. I just didn't, I didn't think about that. Like I was, I was not prepared for it. So I was not, and and I mean like, yeah, it would, (laughs) it would have been nice to even, Part of me wanted to stop the lecture and just call him out right there. But uh, he was – the good news was I only had a couple experiences with him. I remember other people talking about what a nightmare he was. I only had a couple. But the other thing, Josh, you've, I've probably heard this. I was I was the world's biggest kiss-up in dental school. Like I, my skill set was, was ingratiating myself to people instead of actually having the, the utmost clinical skill and being able to answer questions. I just could ingratiate myself. So – I made sure that I knew something personally about this. And actually, when you look at it, it's it's actually an adaptive thing for patients as well. Knowing something about the person's life so you can distract them from actually like like you know having to interact with you on the way that they're supposed to. So like if if I was in a certain process instructor's you know clinic, I was going to make sure I brushed up on my fly fishing. You know, because if I could talk about fly fishing, I was yeah. yeah. There was nothing. There was nothing bad that was going to happen to me. I was horrible yeah. that way. I literally did that for like every instructor. I had this encyclopedic knowledge of who I could, what I could fall back on for those people, and and that's a that was a coping mechanism. I'm not, Were there a lot of female faculty members? And you're like having to talk about like the newest Louis Vuitton bag yeah, that was out yeah, or no. whatever. There were plenty. Um, I would like to say because I was so incredibly handsome, I never had any. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I didn't, I don't know that I had as much like that. Yeah, that was, I, I tend to, you're probably right. That was probably more me being male and, and being able to talk about manly things. I'm not so sure. That's a good question. Have you ever seen Mike's full lecture, like his full day? Yeah. Oh yeah. His full day open. His opening story is basically how he wanted to plow one of his professors. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it's funny and kind of horrifying at the same time. It and is. how it, the, the, it's the remedial operative. Uh, yeah, lecture. remedial operative. Exactly. Right. And how he thought, it, he thought it, she it, was it, totally into him, and and in right. reality, they, they needed yeah. him in remedial and operative. It's, it's the, the sort of. I mean, he's not saying it, but the subtext of the whole time is like he really wanted to get real freaky with one of his dental school professors, yeah. and uh, and, and it didn't work out. Yeah. 
and he wasn't he wasn't reading the situation quite correctly was no, what it came down it's to, an yeah. interesting thing to kind of open open a lecture with like yeah so i was, was really hoping to uh, have sexual intercourse with one of my professors yeah, yeah. well i mean and, and there's there's plenty probably to talk about with that i mean like you okay so you were you were a younger instructor in like we always had the instructors okay so we were talking about this you go out for beers after you know on on thursday afternoon or friday or whatever and lo and behold some of these instructors or grad grad pro students or whatever show yeah. up at the same place and they're and and you know what they're all of a sudden they're cool and collegial in a way that they aren't in the clinic and i instead of being like yeah he's the cool instructor i just hated those people i thought they were horrible yeah. and, and and since i was drunk i might be more likely to say something about to it say, yeah. yeah to uh, were you, i mean i'm assuming that you weren't like happy fun drunk i was i was bit. i was super happy drunk actually i oh, was okay. i was never right. i was never a surly drunk yeah okay all right um, what's the percent? What's the breakdown percentage of people who go through AA recovery, whatever, that are like happy drunks versus mean drunks? I would I would assume that m- more would be mean, right? I don't. You know, that's interesting. Makes you wonder, like, because the other thing is, you ever notice that there are people who are like, who are like mean drunks, who 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 you wouldn't guess were, like, yeah, like like you'd like to say, well, I could tell this person is in this, and I don't think it would be a surprise to anyone that if I were that I was a pretty sociable, you know, happy drunk. I you know will who's say kind this, of a mean drunk. That's who's surprising? That? Who's that? My fiance, Andrea. Really? Yeah she she gets a little, she gets a she gets a little short, and uh, her fuse gets a little short. I'm not like not like to where she's like backhanding me or anything like that, but uh, but yeah, she, uh, she she gets a little more aggressive when she's been drinking. In fact, there's stories of of her like. At some point during dental school, like at some ASDA event or something like that, like somebody was flirting with her friend's boyfriend. Some girl was flirting with her friend's boyfriend and they were they were drinking at a bar or whatever. And she just like went up and like closed fist hit her in the face, like <laughs> punch like Floyd Mayweather style. I shouldn't I shouldn't laugh because it's, it's it's horrifying. But then again, I mean, these are other. Other reasons not to make the choice to drink. Yeah, I, I, I get it. It's I my my best friend from dental school. Um, I didn't know him well at all first two years because his last name starts with S and my last name starts with M. So clearly, well, we there's there's no way you can't you can't possibly know that. someone that has right. a you know someone with a letter that's different than your last name's first letter. Can't do that. So like I didn't hang out with the S as much. I was mostly kind of an you know an L M N O guy. You know that's pretty much uh, in. So, but I, when we would go out, I do, first off, he belonged to the other fraternity. So you kind of had to hold that against him a little bit. Was it Zips or Delta Sig? It was Delta Sig. Delta Sig. Zips, Zips had a presence um, at Minnesota, but it was small. It was growing when I left, actually. It was getting bigger, but Zips did not have, their house was across the river. So it was kind of less convenient to the school. Um, Although I remember spending a couple of evenings at the Zips house that I don't remember that well. Uh, so I mean, clearly, clearly they had a presence, but Delta Sig had had some of the better parties, but their house was was much. Our the Psi Omega house at at Minnesota was kind of like a fraternity house, like it, it had, or it was kind of like a dorm. You know, it had like living okay. areas, and then it had sure. two halls that went down the back with with rooms. You know, so it was more dorm like. Where where the <laughs> the Delta Sig house was just like this. It was this just huge out. sort of. I I remember saying someone say it used to be a convent or whatever, but whatever it was. It wasn't really convenient for group living that way. It was, it was, you know, it was a house, so yeah. Uh, so it was easier, I think, being a Psi Omega that way. But uh, do you think that the Delta Sig house saw more sex uh, as a fraternity house or as a convent? Which, which one of those hmm, times? Good question. Of its, 
of its life. I have to say, as a dental student, that was not a huge concern of mine. There was not a lot of that going on in my life. So I'm, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to start controversy, but could could be, I'm just saying, just saying, but I I will say that I don't have any regrets. Uh, I have lots of regrets about dental school. I have lots of regrets about my chemical dependence history, but the fraternity was a really good situation for me. And then the other thing is I lived there three years cheaply. Well, I didn't, yeah, this is, this is in retrospect, I was relatively brilliant about this because I lived very cheaply, right? Like, like you talk about people that are taking loans out and they just know that they've got a bunch of loans. So what the hell I'll get a nice yeah, apartment and live it up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't do that. I think my parents would never have allowed me to do that because they kind of helped pay my, pay my rent and stuff. So yeah, like I lived at the Omega house for 150 bucks a month plus food. Holy moly. You know, plus food. Yeah, oh. I mean plus food. So I probably paid more in food than I did in rent. And and it's not that the Omega house was nice, it was not, but I didn't really need nice at that point. My senior year yeah. I I moved to an apartment uh like an apartment above a convenience store. It was there were like <laughs> there were like 10 apartments above this convenience store. We called it the Omega retirement home because <laughs> because there's a bunch of people that lived in the Sio house for years finally moved away. And I, this apartment was not nice, but at the, at the time it was, it was as if I had moved into the fanciest place in, you know, a penthouse in Manhattan. It was like such an upgrade. Um, I, I lived above the food basket, which was, uh, we called the food bucket. I had literally a bus stop outside my window. Uh, so like I had the diesel fumes. Awesome. If, if you opened the window, you got diesel fumes. So what I did do, um, sort of as a passive aggressive attack on that is I put a, like a platform bird feeder out my window <laughs> and and you could see like just right in front, right in front of this bus, bus stop you could see like bird poop everywhere and that was totally my doing so um that was like that was one of the greater times These in dental school poor people that are trying to get to work yeah, i was pooping on them and I, you're just having birds yes. just all over yes them. exactly and and i'm i am i am not proud of that yet it was sort of it was sort of my move against the bus fumes that was that was kind of my passive aggressive ornithological johnny knoxville torturing <laughs> These poor people. It was it was it was the wrong thing to do in retrospect, but but yet I I stand by it. I mean, I, I it was it was great to live there. I had friends in the apartment complex. You know, it wasn't a complex, and I've been since, since yeah since since then that building's totally been demolished. Now all of the all of the buildings that you might live in near the dental school are are like much nicer than my yeah. I was just saying now it's a hip loft that will only cost you thirty five hundred dollars a month. You're you're not kidding. You're not kidding. And the food basket. They're not doing that. Food basket was like was like the worst place in the world. Now it's it is it is a Whole Foods with probably like a I don't know probably a noodles and company attached to it or something. You know it's it there there is there is no more character on this college campus. The grittiness is gone. No, it's definitely gone. Yeah, the even the even the coffee shop that I used to work at across the street is is not you know it's not a gritty you know local coffee shop anymore. It's all. Yeah, Minneapolis, the campus on Minneapolis is very different now than it was. And and that's it's kind of sad. Even Ann Arbor has lost a lot of its gritty gritty stuff, you know, like there's a lot of corporate stuff there that surprises me. So Yeah. But there's money to be made in those campuses. See, we didn't there they're just we didn't have fraternity houses. And so you, you know, the joining a fraternity there wasn't really a huge advantage to it other than just getting drunk. I mean, that's just really what and, it and was. And you didn't need a fraternity to do that. Well, there were lots of places yeah, to do that. Yeah. Sure. I will say this: have an excuse. Parking was a big deal for the fraternities too. That was the other thing where the Sio House had it over everyone else because Sio's parking lot was more like an actual parking lot, whereas the the 
Delta Sig had a bunch of room to park kind of behind the house, but they had this narrow little driveway to get back there. So everyone had to leave their keys, and if you happen to park there first in the morning, uh, there was no way you were getting out early without moving 10 cars, that sort of thing. So, and so, But the parking thing was, honestly, that's why most everyone joined. Um, we had Psy Omega you know, members that literally never did anything with Psy Omega except park their car there. I, and and that it was interesting. But we love that. drives people to do funny things. Yeah. It really does. Like, if you, I, I've been watching on, on Investigation Discovery. They have this sort of mini-series about the Son of Sam. And yeah. uh, that was like a huge part of when Son of Sam would kill, would be like if he could find good parking or not. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! Sort of the worst compulsion of a serial killer. It was like, well, yeah, there's no parking, so I'm out oh my tonight. Gosh. It was like I'm... not about a full moon or like a convergence of the satanic alignment of planets. Or it is, it is know. totally and, true. And I thought the whole deal was like the dog was supposed to talk to him and tell him when to go kill or whatever. It's like, yeah, but at the end of the day, it was really about parking. Oh my god! Like I, I, I have a grudge against Ann Arbor, the the city of Ann Arbor, for several reasons. But one of the main reasons is parking. Parking, parking, like like Son of Sam probably never would have been a serial killer if he grew up in Ann Arbor. <laughs> he was in Ann Arbor. Because no, no he might have gotten a compulsion to, to murder someone, and then he'd look around and go, oh, there's no way this is happening. It's not happening today because, A, there's no parking. B, if you happen to get a spot, it's like it's like they check your credit before you can park there because, because that's how much it's going to cost. So, oh, my gosh. that's I did not oh, realize that. I think I have to. I, I might have to watch that show. That's I. That's amazing. I had no idea. I'll have to give Sabia a hard time about uh, Ann Arbor uh, parking. Sabia Bunnick, the uh, dental advisor, who, yeah. who's a who, sure, who yeah. lives, bleeds Michigan blue yeah. Oh, yeah. and loves Ann Arbor. I'll have to I'll have to razz her. To all, about the, to all the Michigan grads listening to this, um, my favorite my favorite joke about the University of Michigan is: How do you know if someone is a University of Michigan fan? Answer: Don't worry, they'll tell you. Yeah, very quickly. Yeah, it's. I mean, and, and I, I, I went to Miami of Ohio for undergrad. I went to Minnesota for for dental school. So I have no actual like academic tie to the University of Michigan, and I have relatives that went to state. So I, I probably in rooting rooting again. I probably root against Michigan at the Michigan State game, Michigan Michigan State game. But I don't have strong ties to any Michigan colleges at this point. And Minnesota never wins anything. So. Uh, <laughs> basically I don't have anyone to root yeah, for college football season is not, it's not swell for you. Unfortunately. Yeah. No, it's tough. I, Miami, Miami occasionally has a basketball team and so does Minnesota actually worth writing about, but, but not much, not much in the football. We had a great marching band at Miami. So that's, no, that's well, that drops the panties right there. Yeah, that's, You know, you know, that's how it is. That's, that's how I, that's how I became the man that I am. It's true. So nice. I, I do have to say, we, we've not covered anything that we are going to cover, actually, because, no, but I was but enjoying this. Right. But I do think in the last couple of minutes, uh, now you are speaking on the main stage at Densply Serona World coming up in a few weeks. Is that correct? It is correct. That's exciting. It's very And, it's, and by main stage, I would say the main stage at Densply Serona World is probably the closest to a rock concert that a dental lecturer is ever going to experience i'm, I'm yeah i've not been there so tell me about what you've seen of it they're anticipating i think between seven and ten thousand people that's so insane. we'll just let's stab it right in the middle of 8500 or something like that that's insane um i i there there i cannot imagine that there is a bigger room in dentistry than that um maybe the keynote speaker at the ada but that's like you know but that's like bill, bill clinton, clinton too, like that. or exactly. george w bush or yeah. peyton manning this year like yeah. 
and that's always at like a stadium, you know, kind of deal. But like for a dentist to get in front of other dentists, like that's got to be the biggest room there is. Wow. And there's, you know, there's going to be some stuff that everyone's going to hear about in the next coming weeks that has sort of, I think, taken a little bit of the polish off of this, off the whole thing. Agreed. Agreed. But, you know, at the end of the day, like it's, it's a unique opportunity to get to do that. I have 18 or I think I have 14 minutes. It's a Ted talk style. Nice. Okay. Kind of deal. It, it, it's and nice. It's, it's nice, and it's awful at the same time because you got to bring your A game, and it's something. That, it's not the kind of thing you can just fly into, fly into, uh, you know, I don't know, fly into Oklahoma City and give a little, you know, give a little yeah. forty-five minute deal and, and fly. I mean, this is this is the big time. So, how, right. how have you been? How have you been preparing for it? Um, you know, it, so I'm normally not like a write stuff down kind of guy, especially for a long. Like, I'm not going to write four hours of sure. stuff and memorize. Yeah, absolutely it not. Yeah. I'll learn the beats and then kind of go through it from there. But this is sit down and write it and then just sort of read it over and over and then read it out loud and then put together the slide deck to go with it. And that's kind of where I'm at now. Oh, interesting. And over the next week, it'll be just sort of rehearsing it out loud. Oh, good finding for you. Kind of moments good to, for to you. Polish and but yeah, it's me and, and uh, Aaron Elliott, who is, I think, a friend of this show. Yeah, or, of or course. Absolutely. Hats, yeah. Um, is doing one. Cliff Ruddle is doing one. And I forget who the fourth person is. There's four of us doing the kind of TED Talks on Thursday morning of the meeting. Um, Cliff, I don't know if you've seen Cliff speak before. He's a great speaker. It's been a while. He's yeah. Good. So, so I mean, he's, you know, he's, if, let me just say, if you have any, if you want to learn anything about Cliff Ruddle, you can look up the Sunset uh, Act. Is it Sunset, Sunshine? What yeah. is What is it? Yeah. The, whichever yeah. one it is. Yeah, whichever yeah, one of those sun, acts yes, that has yeah. the sun involved. Sunshine. And just look yes. up his name and you can see like all the, uh, all the sort of patents that he has with uh, Indophile companies and yeah. sort of what that what that nets to him yeah. uh, every year yeah. is a staggering number, of, a staggering amount of money. Yeah, he does. Uh, he's, he's sort of he's he's elbow deep in Endo. That there's no doubt about yeah. that. Yeah, I so I, I saw him you're speak be there too. Right? Yeah, oh yeah, I'm I'm speaking I'm speaking on uh, as we discussed earlier. I have the hangover slot, which is Saturday morning. Perfect. Ironically, yeah. speaking about addiction in the hangover slot, so we thought. And and your your point was that that may be the perfect slot because perhaps the night before there will be things that have yeah, happened there's that people turning up the night before and then they're gonna they're the next morning they're gonna be regretting that I'm yeah like, hey, uh, maybe it's, maybe it's time for me to actually out. take a look at myself here and, and and I'll be there for you I will be there at, I think it's nine o'clock in the morning so anyone who's going to DS World you'll get a chance to see Josh for sure and come see me on Saturday morning um, <laughs> and you know. Maybe we should have like Advil and black coffee in my lecture. Too. Yeah, I, I think that wouldn't be a bad idea for for you, especially like hey, you know, the journey starts today. Yeah. Maybe have <laughs> chips, just like some exactly like four hour chips. I can, I can I can spend my I can spend my last fifteen minutes. You know, anyone want to come up and get the tag? Anyone want to chip? That's a good idea. I never thought about that. AA chips at the meeting. That'd be good. But whatever the shortest amount of time is, yeah. like that's because you know you're talking about like their last drink will have been literally like two and a half hours before that. that <laughs> like, like they're actually they're actually still still on the upward <laughs> trajectory of being drunk. They're actually yeah. they're not even they're not even coming down yet. Actually, they're still right. yeah. They did a shot as they went into the lecture right. essentially. So yeah. yeah, no, that's perfect. Hey, listen, this was great. I and like I said, so we clearly have to come back have you come back on because there's lots of other stuff we were going to talk about. We never got close to. Yeah, we never even got into Trump. I know. We didn't get into Trump. We didn't get into Dan Fisher. So I don't know. We should probably set it up and do it again soon so we can pick it up. Maybe maybe we'll try and do it as like a 
like a, a, a pre-DS world or a post-DS world thing so we can do it quickly. Or we can do it during DS world. Oh, there we go. Yeah, and that a is lot true. Of my, uh, a lot of my during DS world plans have, have now been dashed. And yeah. so, <laughs> exactly. Um, You're going to have some time on your hands. When it comes I am going to have some time on my hands because I, uh, my, uh, my, the load on my plate after Thursday is, is pretty light. Pretty so. light. So here's the story. I have recording equipment, so let's plan on that. You'll be, you'll be one of my DS World uh, subjects for sure. So, yeah, Josh Austin, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll definitely catch you again soon. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, listen, if you have any questions or comments about the show, my email, alan, A-L-A-N, at theallenmeetexperience.com. Go to iTunes, the podcast app. Give me five stars. Give me your review. I need I need it. I want to get, get myself up there so people are looking at it. This is all about me, people. Uh, reviews, emails, and thank you for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. And we will talk to you again next week.